Hey, everybody, it's Joe Chicarone, and welcome to Built Not Born, episode 68. Today's guest is Chris Matakas. Chris Matakas is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and an author of 13 books on personal development, including On Jiu-Jitsu, Five Rules for White Belts, and my personal favorite, The Daily Martial Artist. Chris is also a high-performance coach and owner of the Chris Matakis BJJ Academy in Central New Jersey. Chris and I have a far-ranging discussion on why humans need resistance, the power of community, and why we need to follow our fears to live our best life. It was so awesome to have Chris on the show. He is such a deep thinker. He's so well-spoken. He's a fantastic author. He has a bunch of books on Amazon. I'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, do yourself a favor, grab one of his books. Five Rules for White Belts is fantastic, not just for people training jujitsu, but just for life. There are five basically rules for life that I got a lot out of. Hope you enjoy. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Chris Matakas. And remember, life is built, not born. Chris Matakas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Joe. Thank you for joining us. Chris, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? All right. So uh, my name is Chris Matakas. I run a jiu-jitsu academy in Florence, New Jersey. That's what I do in the evenings. During the day, I write books about jujitsu as a vehicle for personal development. And I'm also a performance coach with helping people succeed off the mat as well. Awesome. Chris, I want to get into your journey in jujitsu, but just as importantly, your journey as an author and a writer. Could you pick two more challenging professions to be part of? <laughs> oh my gosh, one people are trying to choke you out and the other you're trying to choke yourself out. Mm -hmm. Yep. I love the Daily Martial Artist, which I'm holding up here. In prep of this, I read and loved on jujitsu. And I just loved your five rules for white belt. Want to get into your writing, want to get into your jujitsu journey. But before we do that, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Yardville, New Jersey, which is about 20 minutes from where my academy is now. Quick backstory, played sports my whole life. And then I graduated college and I recognized I was still a boy and did not have a rite of passage yet. So I, by sheer luck, Professor Almeida was running a jiu-jitsu school on the road I grew up on, just like a few miles down it. And then uh, graduated on something like May 17th of 2008, took my intro class the next Saturday. And then I fell in love with jujitsu instantly and was like, this is a problem worth trying to solve. I'm in. And then that was the next decade. Wow. And I love a problem trying to solve. And to me, jujitsu is like that Rubik's cube I had as a kid. I never solved it. Like I always kept working at it and it got mm -hmm. a little bit better then a little bit worse then it got a little bit better, but it never got all the sides together. And I think that's jujitsu. What led you to the jujitsu mat? What made you step on the mat the first time? I was acutely aware that there were people less moral than I who could hurt me. And I didn't like that. So I, I wanted to develop the capacity to be as safe as possible in 
all settings, hoping to never have to use those skills. And then I more so on a deeper level recognize that like I needed some sort of discipline to become an apprentice of because of who I would become on the way to mastery. And I was just kind of looking for what is that thing going to be that I'll devote, you know, 15 years of my life to um, because of what it will turn me into. And then I, like I said, I took that intro class where we did like a hip toss, a cross collar choke. And I was just like mind expanded. Like I didn't know that this was within the realm of possibility. And I want to see how far this road goes. Sure. Uh, that's, that's fair enough. One thing which you just did, did you notice like the my first lesson is I, I took stand-up martial arts for a number of years and I stepped onto the jujitsu mat and within like five minutes, just reality smacked me to what I, the ignorance, which I did not know, like all <laughs> like my ignorance of all the stuff I did not know where I thought like, oh, I'd be pretty, I'm not that big of a dude, but like I trained so much stand up that like I would be pretty tough in a fight. Like I'm not bulletproof and there'd be people that could kick my butt, but like the average person, I, I think I'd be pretty good. And then like you go on that mat and you go, oh my gosh, my level of ignorance is through the <laughs> fair. I mean, is that so? 100%. And then the cool thing was like, as you get further into jujitsu or any discipline, it showed me how ignorant I was everywhere else, everywhere. Like the black belt reminds you that you're a white belt in every other area of life. Oh, and that one saying, as I forget who said it, but it's like, as your island of knowledge expands, mm -hmm. so does your shore of ignorance, right? Yes. Could it be any more true than the art of jujitsu? Dude, I think that's it because it's constantly evolving. I mean, especially with guys like Danaher and Gordon and the way they are literally upgrading the software of jujitsu. Yep. If you sit still for a year, you get left behind. Mm -hmm. It's ever growing. Yeah. Just quick personal story. I got my blue belt got married. I took like six years off, like didn't touch it for six years. Mm -hmm. And then went back, maybe 2009, I went back and I'm like, oh, I'll just jump right in the intermediate class. No need for me to take a basic class. I'm a blue belt. You know, I've been trained in six years. No. I stepped on the mat. I didn't even recognize it. Like this is back in 2010, <laughs> like 2009. And there's been a bunch of evolutions since then, but like, I had no idea what they were doing. It was like, I thought I knew how to speak the language. And I sat down there speaking a completely different language. Like I, a couple of words sounded familiar, but like, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy, right? It's 100%. Yeah. With, which I love the just transparency of it. Like you can't hide on a jujitsu mat. It, you can hide in life in multiple ways, but jujitsu is just so radically transparent. It's like the truth rises to the surface. And I just love the accountability that it provides. And the hope is that that accountability bleeds into the rest of your life. Yeah. You might have said this in one of your books, like the mat does not lie. Yeah, like it, it, and it's so binary. It's it, there's no like, say in gymnastics, which is an incredible sport activity to do. But like, you could look at someone do a routine. I could look at someone do the routine. You could go nine point five. I could go six point five. Mm -hmm. But like in jujitsu, if you and I went and you submitted me in three seconds, there's no like, oh wow, I still think Joe's better. Like it's like that person. Like no, no, you were submitted, yes. <laughs> and it, it's so it's like swimming. It's binary. You have a time like. It's very apparent who's better than who or what that person needs to work on, right? Dude, and 100%. And then to take that one step further, when you think about one of the things I love about jiu-jitsu so much is if you envision a role, like in that moment, 
you were always being presented with constant feedback, mm-hmm. constant feedback. Like I try this pass, it doesn't work. Or I tried this and I got submitted. That constant feedback is ever present in our lives. It's just not as easily accessible as it is in jujitsu. So I love this like positive feedback mechanism where we're learning to pay attention to the feedback that the environment provides and the ones that do get good real fast and the ones that don't kind of stay the same. And I just love the accessibility of learning in jujitsu that is more apparent than anywhere else, at least that I've found. The feedback, let's just say you have a good habit or bad habit. Somebody wants to get in better shape or lose weight and they go, I'm going to replace a beer or a soda with a glass of water. And I'm going to do that every night for dinner, right? It may take three to six months to see the feedback. Like, whoa, yes. I feel better. Wow. Yes. In jujitsu, the feedback is the second it happens, right? Mm-hmm. You do something wrong, instant feedback, that's a bad move. You just got caught. Or you do something right, like, wow, I just passed the guard, correct? Yes. You speak to that? Like, I mean, how quick the feedback loop is. Yeah. Which is kind of why I think when someone says, I'm in a plateau or I'm stuck, I don't think we really have the opportunity to be in a plateau because there's just, it's so infinite and we're so ignorant and there's constant feedback around where we're failing and falling short. There's literally limitless opportunities to pursue skill development. It's it's an infinite pursuit that the better we get, the more capacity we have to improve and it's endless. And that's what I just, it's almost like romantic. I love that idea so much. Yeah. How about you? Could you speak to my introduction to your work was on jujitsu? Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic book. Grab it off of Amazon. And the first quote I wrote down was the organism is shaped by the environment. Yes. All right. And then to me, that means community. So could you speak to how diverse and wide the community of jujitsu is? Where like I could just speak to the gym I'm at. You have lawyers making 600 grand a year next to bartenders, right? And they're all rolling together. And then you have people in college, students that are broke, rolling with, with sales guys and doctors, and they're all blended together. And it doesn't matter who does what outside because that bartender could be the best one on the mat and they're the leader of the mat. And everyone's got, and like that lawyer making 600 grand is asking that bartender for feedback for an hour. Make sense? Yeah. Could you yeah. speak to that? Like how, just how unique that is in this world. Yeah, it's one of those things where the barrier to entry is the gift. So slight backstory, funny how it works out. I went through a Russell Brunson click funnels phase about like, how do you sell things at scale and reach people? And one of the things he said was never sell an improvement offer because only like one or 2% of the people have ambition and everyone else doesn't want an improvement offer. They don't want to improve. I learned that like a week after I published a book called Improve. (laughs) So that was a nice slap in the face. But those one or 2% of people are the people that come to the Jiu-Jitsu Academy, regardless of their daily environment, their profession, their economic situation. We are a community of people who are all aiming up and recognize the only way to ascend is to go there together. And outside of like, military or religious backgrounds, that does not exist to my knowledge, where people come from all walks of life, leaving those walks of life behind for a shared mission, which is ironically 
individual missions pursued together in parallel with one another, where Joe, you can come in and you're, you can pursue the goal of like, I want to master jujitsu. And I can come in and say, I really just want to lose 30 pounds so I can live longer to see my kids. And we can use the same vehicle in the same way to achieve different outcomes. And I just don't know where else that exists. I think, I think jujitsu and martial arts might be really the only version of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When that person steps on the mat, I think one of the gifts it gives them, I was lucky enough to have Hiron Gracie on the show a couple of weeks back, grandson of Elio Gracie and son of Horion, who runs the Gracie Academy. And one of the things that came up was jujitsu helps you become comfortable in very uncomfortable situations, right? You have a great quote I wrote down, if you could speak to this. You write, somewhere along the line, we confused comfort with happiness. Dude, the human organism like needs resistance. I, I, at least speaking individually, I know I am happiest when I'm pursuing something, when I'm experiencing struggle. And there's a direct correlation between the amount of struggle I'm voluntarily pursuing and the amount of suffering I experience in my life. And it's kind of like led me to just living by this maxim of increase voluntary struggle, decrease involuntary suffering. And I think the ability to contend with resistance in a productive way is a skill. And it's a skill that jujitsu trains probably more than anything. And if we can take that resistance training, which we have on the mat and apply that to our marriages, to our business, like everything gets better. And I know like Jordan Peterson has this great line. Oh, you want to retire and drink Mai Tais on the beach? Like that's not a life. That's a travel poster. You'll have cirrhosis of the liver in two months. I just came back from vacation and around like day five, I was excited to get back to the office. I needed to struggle and build something. And I just think we have these superficial understandings of what peace and happiness is supposed to be. And it's not what we're told by culture. It's what is written on your heart. And for all of us, whatever it is that's written on your heart, the only way to fulfill that prescription is to voluntarily engage with very difficult things that are in direct alignment with who we want to become. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Another line I'll throw at you from the book, I think that's going hand in hand with what you're saying here, with, with the voluntary struggle, they'll say, all right, well, you go on the mat and you get roughed up a little bit. What good does that do for you in life? Here's a quote from you in the book. First, we do it on the mat, then we take it out into the world. So the mat shows you what you're capable of. It changes the way you look at struggle. So when you struggle on the outside, you're like, I got this. I I just had someone 60 pounds heavier than me try to cross choke me this morning, right? But I got out of it. And so this customer yelling at me, I'm going to get out of this. It doesn't scare me a a fraction of what that guy did this morning, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about like how to best act in the world, and I think that's a, that's what we all care about, right? The world is a form for action. How can I behave optimally in this one finite life? You have to do it somewhere first. And you're going to do that in the place where you have progressed the furthest. And having progressed the furthest in one domain and engaged with that behavior pattern, that's when it will now translate into other areas of your life. But it's like, Whatever you have mastered, that's where you're going to express yourself in a masterful way. And it's got to happen there. And then you'll start to see these little Easter eggs, these little indications of ways in which you can act that way outside of that discipline. So for us, I really believe like 
If you pursue mastery of jujitsu to whatever extent you're capable of, to the degree that you do so, all the other areas of your life are kind of like the tail on the comet. Like they're going to follow that jujitsu progression. So if we get the jujitsu right and we're well-oriented, I think the growth everywhere else is kind of inevitable. It just follows along. It really does. Mm -hmm. And I'll just hit you with another one of your quotes from the book on jujitsu. You think you're learning to fight, but actually you're learning how to live. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, life is hard. It's no matter how well-oriented and beautiful your experience is, it is difficult for all of us. And I think jujitsu, no matter how skilled you are, is difficult for all of us. And we're just training the behavior pattern of engaging with difficult things in a productive way where we don't lean away from them, but we lean into them to the solution. And if we do that in guard passing, we do it everywhere else. So I think like we use fighting, for lack of a better term, as a microcosm of living. And if you fight properly, you'll probably live properly too. Uh, That's well said. You mentioned how no matter who you are in life or what you have going on, life is hard. Mm. I'm a big football fan. Tom Brady missed a couple weeks of training camp. And then he comes back and he's interviewed and he goes, basically his quote was to the, where were you? He's like, guys, I'm a 45-year-old guy. I'm married. I have kids. And uh, I have a lot of shit going on. (laughs) (laughs) I I got stuff happening. Like Life's hitting him too. Even though he might have $500 $500 million in the bank, uh, life still happens to him and there's still a struggle, right? I mean, no matter who you are, life hits everybody, right? I, I love the way to reference Jordan Peterson again, because dude, I watched that too. And it, it was a perfect reminder for all of us. Like Jordan Peterson will use the Christian metaphors of the snake always makes its way into the garden. You can't have a wall high enough, thick enough. The snake makes its way into the garden. And Dude, it happens like in our health, no matter how well appointed you are, cancer can hit you, you know, or you can roll your ankle walking out the stairs to training. It's like chaos is inevitable. But while you're in the order component, while things are going well, you can do the work on yourself to position yourself to handle that chaos, which will inevitably come in the most skillful way. Yeah. And, and the chaos is going to come, like you said, if you're Tom Brady, you're Chris, you're Joe, you're Mary or Nicole listening, like you're, it's going to happen, right? Like no matter who you are, how rich you are, how young, how strong, how big, how tall, life inevitably is going to hit you. It's going to smack you in the face and it's all about how you respond, right? It's just what handle you pick it up with. Yeah. And I, I think, so stepping on the map for the first time, we could transition over to the next book I really love, The Five Rules for White Belts. Here's a quote I'm going to take from your on jujitsu book, and we'll transition into the white belt book. You put, you earned your white belt by having the courage to step onto the mat for the first time. Yeah. You're almost my words, not yours. Like you, pr- your first promotion is yourself. Like you stepping into the gym, having the courage to go into the academy and mm-hmm. step on the mat with either the younger, bigger, stronger, faster, crazier, whatever. You have the courage to step on the mat and train. And they said, here's your white belt. I believe that's like your first promotion. It's real, right? I mean, dude, it is. And, you know, I, I appreciate the way there's this overlap between philosophy and psychology and jujitsu. Like they sync up so well. And I've really studied the hero's journey because I believe we're all freaking heroes. We're all on our own journey. And if we can learn from that cyclical pattern, we can apply it to our life. 
And every hero has to be the fool before they can be the savior. A lot of times they don't want to be, and they get a helping hand from somebody, but inevitably you have to go somewhere where you are weak so you can acquire strength, so you can use that strength to serve somebody. Every time a new person walks in and puts on a white belt, it's like that's someone on their hero's journey. That's someone embarking into a new unknown world to acquire new skills. And it takes so much more courage. Like I'm going to the academy tonight and we've got a few intros coming in and take their first class. It takes so much more courage for that intro to show up than for me to lead the class. Like they are the focal point of the class. They're the one embodying the archetype of the hero. And to the degree that we celebrate that, I think we give people permission to fail forward rather than fail and leave. Yeah. Because when they step onto the mat, like even if someone like you want to, books are awesome, podcasts are awesome, but there's only so much a person can do by themselves. It requires community, right? And then when you step on that mat, you literally instantly create your community that's there. There's like a community there that's Mm -hmm. going to give you instant feedback. And like earlier, the organism shaped by their environment. You have a bunch of people that are eating healthy. Like I never heard of watermelon juice till like 10 years ago. (laughs) I came back, right? Like watermelon juice, eating a certain way, drinking a certain way, not doing certain things. All of that is community. I think like Theodore Roosevelt said, like, just jump into the river. The river is like great people. Jump in the river and the river will take you where you need to go, right? Even if you're not swimming that fast, you could just sit there and tread. Like you'll go with the current, right? Yep. And that's, I think, what you get when you step, go into your academy, you go go into someone's school. What what do you think? Yeah, I like the idea you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, that old Jim Rohn idea. And it's so true. And in a jujitsu academy, everyone is desperately trying to improve. We're all using jujitsu to do it. But really, the main three drivers are, I want to master jujitsu, I want to learn self-defense, and I want to get in better shape. Now... Underneath those three primary goals, you have to get so many things right. You have to start sleeping better. You have to start eating better. You have to become a sincere student. You have to learn how to learn. You have to learn how to handle discomfort in the most productive way. There are all these skills that everyone in the community has. And you may go to your office in your day job, and a lot of those skills are lacking because unless you are The environment grows the organism. Unless you're in an environment that demands those virtues from you, odds are you're not going to express them because you have no reason to. It's like in strength training, there needs to be a progressive overload. You need to give the muscle a reason to grow. We're the same. Our virtues are the same. Our behavior and characteristics are the same of who we become. So what better way to ensure you're going to fulfill the necessary mandates of growth than to be in a community that demands it for survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's, uh, it's well said. How about a couple of things I pulled from the five rules for white belts, which which they're awesome rules for white belts, but I think they're rules for life. I mean, you could take them and like never train and these rules are just spot on. One of the things you mentioned about white belts, you do not encourage new white belts to go after submissions. Could you explain? Yeah, and... and- you know, I kind of seesaw back and forth, but the original thought process would be like, all right, what is your goal and why are you training? If we are really honest with ourselves, I believe most people training jujitsu by the time they achieve black belt will probably not be submitting from off their back. 
like I, there's really a small subsection of athlete who can do that skillfully. If you watch most good black belts train, you don't see many submissions off the back. It's usually guard retention, get a sweep, get on top, pass the guard, advance position, and then there's a submission. So the old school approach that I kind of had when I started the academy was that don't worry about submissions. If you do everything else right, that will kind of happen. But then the Danaher brand of jiu-jitsu came around. And rather than control the body by controlling the center of mass, which is most traditional old school jiu-jitsu, the four main positions, now they're controlling the entire body through controlling one limb, mm-hmm. right? These leg entanglements, various arm entanglements, which lend themselves to submission. I believe the average person, unless you're a freak athlete, can much more readily control somebody by controlling their center of mass than an individual limb, which requires so much more finesse and awareness and sort of proprioception that you only develop in time. So I think when we're acquiring skill, it's like a pyramid. You build the widest possible foundation for the highest potential peak. And I think just understanding the positional hierarchy and becoming competent in that for 99% of people is the best way to widen the foundation in the beginning. I like the idea of jujitsu as a vehicle for personal development, but it depends how the person wants to develop. If you're a 20 something ex wrestler and you've got this fire in your heart that like, I have to compete, there's something that's not yet been fulfilled that can only be found through competition, then that's your path. You do that. You go for that. But if you're a person who's developing into, I want to be less angry with my kids and I want to be more patient at work, that vehicle of competition probably doesn't serve those goals. So I think the health and the, what would it be? The litmus test for a good culture is the relationship to competition. Like if it serves your goal, we're going to support you in this. But if it doesn't serve your goal, we're not going to make you do it or make you feel bad for not doing it because it's just not part of your path. Mm. So I think understanding the individual journey one is on sets the proper context for what role competition will play on that journey. Uh, Makes sense. Moving on in the book, it says here, you have a picture in your room of a man standing in front of a dark cave. Oh, yeah. So tell tell us about that. All right. Another hero's journey idea. Joseph Campbell had this quote, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. And we are all looking for like meaning and purpose and why are we here? And a lot of times it's really hard to find. And you kind of figure out what your purpose is by recognizing what it's not sometimes. But an easier way for all of us, I think, is to pay attention to fear. I believe fear is essentially the inverse of meaning telling you where to go. So as an example, I've uh, had the I've had the fortune and blessing to officiate like 10 of my close friends weddings, which is just an awesome blessing. The first time I was asked, I was on a bike ride with one of my teammates. We stopped and he just asked me, "Hey dude, I would love for you to officiate my wedding." And this pit dropped in my stomach. I was terrified of the public speaking and was like, oh, I have to do this now because if I'm that afraid of it, it means there's something in there waiting for me. Again, the environment grows the organism. So the fear is I don't possess the skill that that environment requires. But if that's a skill I need, I need to go into that environment. So the cave you fear to enter 
holds the treasure that you seek. The public speaking I was afraid to do held the treasure of being comfortable in public speaking. And I love how that applies to everything. If you're like afraid to ask out a woman, then that's the cave you need to go into. If you're afraid to ask for a promotion, that's the cave that has the literal treasure that you're looking for in your bank account. It's just this universal guidepost that if you don't know what to do, ask what you're afraid of. And that's the thing you should do. Yeah. Yeah. Let your fear guide you to where you're going in a much less important version of you're speaking to, but even something as little as this podcast that goes over COVID and we're all stuck in our house for a year and a half. And there was a course I saw about podcasting and I used to have a blog. I have a couple hundred articles online and I was an okay writer, never great. But if you asked me at the time I was writing, I was writing a blog because I was scared. I was afraid to do a podcast. I'm like, what would I do it on? No one would listen. Who would want to come on? Like everybody would laugh. You know, I'd be a horrible interviewer, like all those things hit my head. They all still might be true, but (laughs) but like that scared me. I'm like, that's the way I need to go. And I'm going to do it. And even if I'm awful, I'll do it for 10 episodes and I'll stop. But I got to have one at least once, right? I got to try it. But like you said, your fear, let your fear guide you. That'll let you know what cave you need to enter, correct? Dude, yeah. I I think, and we mentioned it earlier, like I think there's a prescription written on your heart at birth. And you know how doctors have really awful handwriting? You can't read the prescription. Sure. That's the same thing that's on your heart right now. And the work that we do is to essentially decipher and uncode what that prescription is. That's step one. Then step two is you have to fulfill that prescription, which is crazy that we don't get to choose what we're interested in, what we find meaningful. It's more like you uncover it. It's like an excavation rather than a creation. And once you uncover it, that's step one. Step two is fulfilling it. That's the call to adventure. That's where the fear comes in because that's where you're going to be stretched. So I just love this idea that we can use jujitsu because, you know, you can always pick something you're bad at and go practice it and humiliate yourself in front of your instructor and your peers and your friends. There will be an apprehension in using the techniques you're not as good with because of the way you'll be perceived. That is one rep entering the cave that you're afraid to go into. And that is a skill going into the caves that you're afraid of. And what safer environment to train that skill than jujitsu in hopes that you do it enough on the mat, maybe 10, 100,000 times, and then you're finally ready to ask out the woman who becomes your future wife, or you're finally ready to start that business or that podcast that you've been afraid of. It's a skill that just needs to be trained. And I'm grateful we all have this medium by which we can train it. Yeah, like no guts, no nothing, right? It starts with courage, no courage, no nothing. Hey, let me list the five. I'll go one at a time. Just give me, your, give me a quick... Uh, Quick, what you're thinking, or just get a quick meaning behind the rule. First rule for white belts, which I think are awesome rules for just for life. But number one, remember that you are a work in progress. Yes. So many, there's like an archetypal white belt who is mad because they're failing and they're slamming the mat and all upset. But to acquire skill in anything, you have to fail a lot first. So reshaping our relationship to failure as if I am experiencing failure, it actually is an indication that I'm on the right path in places where I'm not yet strong so I can acquire strength. So if I'm failing, it's the necessary antecedent to progress. Like we have this idea on my team and our business, if we're not failing, we are failing because we are growth centric and we know the only way to grow is to constantly stretch what we're capable of. 
And the only way to be on the periphery of your skill set is to stumble beyond it and then work your way back. So I think just setting the example from the beginning of you're going to fail a lot. That's okay. And you're supposed to. And it's an indication that you're training properly. It alleviates a lot of the stress for a beginner student. Yeah, that's great. You've mentioned even at black belt, like the, as the as your knowledge increases, the shore of ignorance increases as well. I have never had more questions and knew that I knew less and less than when they put the black belt on me. Yeah. You know, like it's just it's it just maybe your skills are as good as they've ever been, but like I'm like, wow, I got to work on this. I got to learn how to teach this better. I need a better idea here. Like it just opens your mind to everywhere else you need to improve, right? Yeah, it, it's a lens. It's like putting on a pair of glasses. Like I love this metaphor. Jiu-jitsu is like a field with limitless paths through the field. And the goal is to get to the other side. The black belt has walked all those paths. The white belt maybe doesn't know there are paths. And the black belt will be a shepherd essentially and ferry the white belt through. But when you get to the other end of the field, then all of a sudden you're like on a hill and you look over and there's a brand new field of like all the Danaher leg lock systems over here. And I'm a black belt in jujitsu, but I'm a white belt in that domain. Yeah. So it's like every time we work through a field, it allows you to see there are so many more fields that you still have to go through. Yeah, it's great. Well said. How about number two? And I love this one. This might be my favorite one. Narrow your immediate focus. Oh my gosh. Go ahead. This Dude, is a podcast me. by itself. <laughs> So jujitsu is a skill and skills need to be trained and acquired. And the way to acquire them is to get as specific as possible about what it is you're seeking and then fulfill that adventure. So we all get caught up in the shiny object syndrome, especially with Instagram, right? Like you go on Instagram, there's a million different techniques and you can, if you have 10 units of attention, if you put one unit of attention on 10 different things, you're not going to get any of it. Yeah. So I believe in widening that potential base as much as possible. It's literally, if they're made of blocks, you have to give that first block all your possible attention. I have to learn how to pin someone from side control. Okay, I got it. Great. Next block. I have to be able to pin someone from mount. And in the beginning, if you learn the foundational skills and more specifically, there are principles which are expressed through the techniques. And if I can just really seek to understand what the principle is, then that will translate into myriad other positions. So I find that the ones that get the best, the fastest are the ones that create a personal curriculum. For the next two months, I'm going to work on just A and B. And they narrow their tunnel vision of focus. And through that lens, it allows them to see things that they just would not see if they were looking at jujitsu as a blank canvas. So to the degree that you can specify, you're more likely to genuinely acquire understanding, which will translate to skills. That's great. Let's go to the next one. Number four, be grateful for your teammates. Gratitude. Yeah. We are an organism which grows in response to the dictates of our environment. And in jujitsu, the environment is the people we surround ourselves with. And all of us want to go to jujitsu to get better. That's why we're there. We all have goals. But we so easily mistake the resistance that our teammates, the environment gives us as an adversary. 
where you see it all the time in academies with not ideal cultures, where people are like competing against each other in class and there's an aggression, it's adversarial. They're kind of missing the point that literally your growth is predicated upon the skill that your partner possesses. Mm -hmm. So I would take the complete opposite approach of anytime someone gives you resistance and struggle and discomfort, like they are giving you exactly what you need to fulfill your mission. So how can you have anything but gratitude for them? And then you can take it one step further, selfish altruism. I'm going to make sure my teammates get really good. So I have an environment that's going to make me get really good. Like you can serve the people around you through selfish means and everyone improves. So I just think there's no way around investing in the people around you, whether on or off the mat. And you do not get to do jujitsu alone. Some of us tried it in COVID. It didn't go very well. We need each other, you know, so why not be grateful for each other? It's almost like that Jim Rohn line. It's also become the best of me to help you and you become the best of you so you can help me. I, so my wife and I just purchased our first home and we're going to put that up in our dining room. So I was telling a friend that I want to be, I'll be a better me for you. If you become a better you for me. And he's a wise man. He said, Uh just cut off the second half. Why not just leave? I'll become a better me for you. And I've been really trying to hold on to that because at the end of the day, dude, I don't think we can do anything for anyone other than be present as what we are in that moment with them. And all the work we did behind that moment, we bring with us into this moment. So the greatest act of compassion is to work on yourself. It's the best thing you can give the people around you. Yeah, that's true. It sounds selfish, but it, you said it's like selfish altruism where you do it and you don't do it just for, for your benefit. You do it so you could be a better person for your wife, your kids, your husbands, your neighbors, your friends, your mom, your dad, where you could be, you could show up best and be the most valuable for them, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. L- rule number five, jujitsu is the vehicle for something more. Yeah. Uh, one of the... One of the shortcomings of our modern culture is we've kind of gotten away from the apprenticeship model where you go really far down one road and acquire a skill. Mm. And the reason why that's so valuable is in becoming someone who climbs the competence hierarchy of any discipline, you have learned the ability to climb competence hierarchies of any discipline. So you channel yourself through one difficult pursuit. You come out the other side so much more capable. And then you get to use that new version of you in other arenas of life. And I just believe we leave a lot on the table by training jujitsu in a vacuum, kind of compartmentalizing our experience. If we could start to see jujitsu is actually basic training for life and look for the ways in which that's true, you derive so much more from your practice. Understood. Just move over a little bit to your writing. Yeah. So what does your writing process look like? When does it happen? What time of day? What's your writing routine look like? My routine, when I'm working on a book, I write every day, generally same time every day, always with a coffee. I can't tell you the last time I wrote without a coffee. What's your coffee? What's your brew? Uh, I've been settling into dark roasts. So I've actually switched to iced coffee. Okay. And that's been awesome. But yeah, it's every day, same time. Like there's this old idea. I forget what writer who said it was like, you know, I wait for inspiration to show up. Ironically, it shows up every day at 9 a.m. when I sit down at my keyboard. <laughs> and then uh, to use another one, I forget who said this one, but it was like writing a novel is like driving through the fog. You can only see 10 feet in front of you. 
but you can make it the whole way just seeing 10 feet in front of you. So I just try to, all right, I'm writing a book because it's something that I'm, it's a problem I'm trying to solve and better understand myself. So I'm writing the book because I had this problem and I need to work through it. And I know if I have this problem, a lot of other people have this problem. So sit down from day one and I just write every day for minimum 2000 words in the first like draft phase and a couple hours every day until the book is done. And I generally will not take a break or a day off until it's finished. So you're about 2000 words a, a day. That That's the minimum. So I got that. Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing. Sure. Yeah. Dude, best cool. writing book ever, right? Really it's like good, the writing yeah. Bible. And yep. that's what he described. He said, my goal is to write 2000 words every day. So I use that as the bare minimum. I can't leave the office until I've hit 2000. How long does that usually take you to get to 2000? When I know what I want to say, like 45 minutes. Uh, when I don't know what I want to say, four days. way longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, so true. And of those 2000 words, roughly, when you're start, say, just getting started, how many of those 2000 words will you use? Dude. Great uh, question. It's like jujitsu, right? You have to fail all the time. All the time. My rough drafts are so ugly. Yeah. They're so just like piecemeal, makes no Bad. sense. It does not resemble the final product in any capacity, but here's nope. how I view it. And this is the same as jujitsu. The first draft is acquiring as much raw material as possible. So I'm thinking, okay, if I've got to write a 12,000 page short book, or sorry, a 12,000 word short book, I need to get 20,000 words because 60% of it will be enough to work with. Mm. So the first draft is like, dude, just show up and get the words. Like Hemingway had this idea. Anyone can be a writer. You just have to write 1 million bad words first. Draft is just get bad words. And then I refine it over time until the third, fourth draft is something resembling a book. Are you familiar with Ryan Holiday? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so your book here, The Daily Martial Artist, reminds me of the Daily Stoic so much. Was yeah. that your was that your uh, inspiration or I so the Daily Stoic was my toilet book for several years and I was just like, we need a martial arts toilet book. So yeah, there it is. Because I'm reading it and I'm like, the Daily Stoic's my daily read. And I'm like, this is the Daily Stoic for jujitsu. He has to be a holiday fan. Dude, and, um, yeah. Connect Hemingway, who you just spoke about on holiday. Holiday se- sells a little thing on his store. It's from Hemingway. It says, all first drafts are shit, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> it's a direct quote by Ernest Hemingway. Because even like something like a blog post, I say it's a 200-word blog post. I would write 300 words till I got the first sentence. And like from that sentence above is so bad that if anyone read it, you would take my MacBook from me. Like, dude, you don't need this. <laughs> You're going to hurt somebody. Please stop. Everyone wants you to stop because it's so bad. But then yep. you get that one sentence. You're like, all right, there's the beginning. And you found yeah. your path. And then, then you go and they say, oh, it's not whatever it is, good, bad, or indifferent. But like it takes like to get like the 300 garbage words out mm-hmm. or flow words out to get to that one sentence. That's like your anchor. Then you're off. And the next couple hundred words are like, I'm going to use these. But the ones yeah. above it are garbage, right? Like, yeah. D- David Foster Wallace had this idea, the ease of the reading for the reader is directly proportional to the suffering of the writer. <laughs> <laughs> that is so on the money. Oh my gosh. That's so true. Uh, be respectful of your time. I could talk about this all day. Just fast forward to the end. You have a book on ego. I'm not yeah. completely through yet. Hopefully to have you on another time to talk about ego and jujitsu. I think that'd be a great episode there. If you'd be interested, I'd love to have you back. I would love but that. A couple questions for so our listeners 
can get to know you a little bit more as a person. You're an author, you're a big reader. What's your favorite book? Is there a book that influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? The one that's most recently affected me is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Wow. Um, it's exceptional. You can read it in three days. It's just a collection of his tweets. It, it's not like a regular book. It's more so just a collection of anything he's put out in the world. But it's incredible. And that has affected me more in the last half decade than anything, probably. Wow. I'll put that in the show notes. I'm not familiar with that one. Thanks for sharing that. How about with all you got going on, your family, you just bought a house, your jujitsu school, your writing, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? Nature. I, yeah. I am at home alone in the woods and more specifically alone in the mountains. So I get outside and get quiet as much as humanly possible. And when I find myself getting a little too stressed or a little too overwhelmed, it generally means I haven't given enough time to nature. That's awesome. How about as you look out to the year ahead, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? So this Friday, I'm recording a online course based around five rules for white belts. So think of five rules for white belts as like the, the what would it be? The scaffolding, the table of contents for this course, because I've gotten just such positive responses on how useful that's been for people. And I just think, you know, we can all fulfill our potential on and off the mat, but so few of us do. And I think if you have the right framework with which to approach this from the beginning, you're so much more likely to do so. So I'm really excited. Like I said, this Friday, I record it to get this course out there and just be able to provide more value in a deeper, more meaningful way to the jujitsu community. Just three quick questions and we'll wrap up here. Chris, if you could have everyone listening take away just one lesson from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? Change your relationship to resistance. That when you experience the fighting of a dragon, it's not that the dragon is the obstacle to the gold you want. The only way to get that gold is through the dragon. Therefore, the dragon is actually working on your behalf and is part of the gold you seek. So that's the way reality is, is structured. Don't fight it, voluntarily engage with it and accept it. And the dragons become a lot less scary. That's great. All right. Uh, second to last question for you. If here's a fun question, it, Chris, if you could spend the day with anybody, historical figure, jujitsu instructor, alive or dead, who would it be? The first one that popped in my head is Ram Das. He's the yeah. guy behind me. Yeah, it would be him. How about you? That's a great question. I would probably go back to maybe like the 10 year old version of each of my kids where oh, they're like, that's like awesome. where, where they're like, there are people and their personalities and they're like little people, but they still want to really want to hang out and play with you and stuff. Like the 10 year old versions of each of them where they want to have a catch with you and hang out with you. And you know what I mean? All that stuff, go for bike rides with you before they become teenagers and go off to college and stuff. I thought that would be, they're all, I, I love each of their ages now, but like that 10 year old version is so cool where you could have a catch with them. You could do jujitsu with them and they still think you're cool. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Hey, great question. Thanks for asking me. No one's ever asked me that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, last question, Chris, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? To stick with the Ram Dass theme, 
some variant of be here now. I think the quality of our life is the quality of our presence. And it's just so difficult to be deeply present in this culture. So something that would serve as a constant cue and reminder to be present in this moment, not looking beyond this moment. Be present in this moment. That is, I think, about as good as a spot as any to wrap up. Chris Matakis, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. You as well, man. This was awesome. I thank appreciate you for, your time. Oh, thank you for the great work. Good luck with that online course. Would love to have you back at some point. We could talk ego, jujitsu. Wish you nothing but continued success. Likewise. Thank you, man. Be well. Hey, it's Joe Chicarone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way with connecting the podcast with more listeners. So if you could, I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk soon.